And so, Father, we turn our hearts to your word now. We thank you that your word is alive and it's powerful. And right now it's going to speak to us. We approach it with expectation that, Holy Spirit, you take hold with us. You show us things to come. You bring things out to our remembrance. You lead us in your paths of peace. You show us how to glorify God in our lives and all that we do. And we thank you for it, Holy Spirit. Our time with you isn't done. Oh, we're just stepping into this next stage. And we thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. How's everybody doing? You enjoying that beautiful weather we're having out there this weekend? Whew. After the spring and the winter we had, oh, the sun is just like glorious. You can just sit out there and bake it up. Probably going to try and do a little bit of that this afternoon, but I'm sure my wife has a list of things to keep doing. But enjoy the time you can. Hallelujah. Well, Holy Spirit, we give you freedom. Where would you have us go this morning? <laughs> hmm. You know, you'll find that when you approach life with an expectation of the good things of God, you'll never be disappointed. Because regardless of how the day starts, it can change in a moment. When your expectations are for God to show up, You know, oftentimes we wake up and we let how our mood is that day determine how we stay for the rest of the day. And then often that day will turn into how we spend the rest of the week. And some people have been living a month, living a year, and living a lifetime in an attitude they were never meant to keep. Our expectations should be that God is meeting me here today. That God is intersecting with my life because of His grace has completely overtaken me. It's not because I deserve it. It's because Jesus has paid it all for me. And so when we approach life with expectation, you find that your your excitement levels begin to change. You ever notice when you expect nothing, you generally don't have those good days? And that's the power that God has given us in our lives, that He will allow us to set the level of our lives. I like what one minister said. He said, we are not thermometers. We are thermostats. If it's feeling a little hot in your life, like the pressure's getting on you, go ahead and pour the cool water of the Spirit into your life that day. Change the atmosphere. And right now, we get to change the atmosphere of our hearts by the attentiveness we're going to put in the Word. And last week, we started a fun little series on King Saul. And my anticipation was that we would continue on in our series again with uh, Think Inside the Box and looking at the blessings of God. But there's still so much more that we can pull out of the life of King Saul. And he often gets overshadowed by David because David was the great King David. When they talk about Jesus, they call him Son of David. But yet Saul was the first king of Israel and he got completely overshadowed by the greatness of David. But there's some things in Saul's life that we can look at and say, you know what, I don't want to be like that and I love how Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 he said these things happened to them as examples for us and they were written down to warn warn 
You don't always warn about the good things. We can tell you about God's grace and his amazing blessings for you, but we also can warn you about some of the things like, hey, let's not go that route. You don't want to go down that block. It's not a good block. And so Paul said the things in the Old Testament were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Is that you? He says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And it reminded me of another scripture in Proverbs 16, 18. It says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Whenever you think you no longer need God's help in any area of your life, you are setting yourself up for a tumble down the hill. In every moment of our day, we need the grace of God. We need His presence and His direction and His inspiration, His unction in our lives every day. And so I find a great way for me to start is, God, I speak Your Word. Without You, I can do no thing. But because I have You, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But Paul went on to say in verse 13, he says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And I love that because when you look at statistics, I really enjoy statistics. And whenever we're in our leadership meetings, I'm always like, well, the statistics say, and Pete's laughing because I probably say it about 30 times every meeting because we want to evaluate how things are actually are. But whenever you look at statistics, everybody thinks they are the exception rather than the rule. And I think that's why Paul had written this in here. He says, the temptations of your life are no different than what others experience. And you know, what the devil likes to tell the people is that you're the only one going through it, and it's because you're no good, and you've done no good. And you know what? He is just a flat-out liar every day. He doesn't know how to do anything but lie. And so if you feel like you're all alone, you're the only one going through it, get over yourself, you're not. And it says, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So whenever you find yourself in a situation that is less than ideal, look for the door, not the wall. When you feel like the walls are closing in, he has already made a way of escape for you. I like what James says. James says in chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, we don't like to hear that. We like to hear, blessed is the man who avoids temptation. But it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation because trials and situations are going to come in your life, but they don't need to stay. You don't need to have your life dictated by them. You can have victory over them. And it says, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And the word temptation is just this Greek word, and it means trial, adversity, affliction, or trouble. And we can all say that we've all had that in our life. Some of us probably have that today. Okay, let's rephrase that. Most of us probably have that today in some form, whether big or small. We go through these on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. We have these temptations. We have these trials. We have adversity and we have affliction, we have trouble. But, I like verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. I, I cannot stand religion. I hate religion with a passion. 
And I cannot stand when people say, well, God is doing this to test me. He's doing this to try and strengthen me, to build me up. Well, James just said, don't ever say that God is the cause of the trial. Don't ever say that God is the one that brought the trouble. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt, everyone say the word, anyone. So he's not tempting you. He's not tempting your neighbor. He's not tempting any religious figure who seems to think they are. That is not God's position. We know that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said that he had come that we might have life and life more abundantly, praise God. So where does it come from? Where do the problems of, in our, of our lives generally come from? Oh, you know, that big old bad devil, you know, he's just trying to... Well, I have to tell you, the devil's not your problem. The devil is not your problem. Jesus already did a good old work on him when he squished his head underneath the hill. The next verse tells us exactly what our problem is. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So where do the trials and problems of our life generally start with? We can hold up a big old mirror. And we like to practice no-fault religion. It's always somebody else's fault but our own. But that just doesn't line up with what the Word of God has said. And so it says when, when problems come, or those temptations, those trials, those afflictions, those adversities, they come because we've allowed them. Now they sometimes show up and we let them stay longer than they should. I like what Brother Hagin used to say, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. <laughs> and so sometimes things just show up in your life, but they are subject to change. And it says, when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights and whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So maybe your desires have brought you to a place where you don't want to be. That's okay. The goodness of God is right there to lead you right back out. And Paul told the Corinthians, he said, lest Satan should take advantage of you. doesn't say that he will, but it's a possibility I like what one guy said. He said, you know, there is a devil, but you've probably never met him because there's only one of them and he's not omnipresent. He is not God. But lest he should take advantage of you, we're not ignorant of his devices. Or we know how he works, and because he always works the same way because he's got no different playbook, it's the same, it's always been, he's not that smart. It's even worse after he suffered severe brain damage by Jesus' foot. He can't think straight. So the way he's done it in the past is the way he's going to try and do it again, which brings us back to King Saul. The way that the enemy was able to work in King Saul's life is no different than the same way he'll try to work in yours. And we, have to, we said this last week, Saul really was a horrible king. But he was never supposed to be a good king. You know, Saul was the embodiment of what happens when you reject God. You know, the people came to Samuel and they said, you're old, your sons are no good, they're taking bribes, they're cheating the people, give us a king so we can be like everybody else. And Samuel was upset about that. And God said to Samuel, he said, what's your problem? They've rejected me, not you. 
And Samuel was just God's representative. And that's exactly what we are on this earth. We are God's ambassadors. We are his representatives to the world. And the world may reject you, but you need to remember it's they've rejected God first. And Jesus said to his disciples, you will face persecution, but it's okay. They did it to me too. So it's no different. But Saul was never supposed to be a good king. They, were, he, they had rejected God, and so God gave them what they wanted. And he even gave them the warning in Samuel 8.18. He says, when the day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. You are not an Old Testament person. You call upon the name of the Lord. He will help you. But in the time of the Old Covenant, the nation of Israel had rejected God. They had turned away from Him. And this is what uh, the people said after He told them that. But the people refused to listen. You know, I think I've been in that position so many times where the solution has been presented to me and I said, oh, I'm sure it's got to be something else other than that. Come on, am I the only unholy person in here? And they said, even so, we want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and will lead us into battle. i got to tell you, you don't want to be like the world around you. They are not going to a place you want to go. And the things that they are drawing from and receiving, it may look good for a season, but not for a lifetime. And that's the thing. We only see glimmers into people's lives. We see them usually on their best days, on the front that they want to put on. And we can look around to those around us and say, oh, I'd love to be like them. And I say, no, I'd rather just be like God. Because that's who you've been made in the image of. But they said, we want a king who will judge us. Well, God told us to judge ourselves. He says, why are you trying to pull the sliver out of somebody else's eye when you've got a big old chunk of wood in your own? If we look at ourselves, everybody else around us doesn't matter. Now, how do we judge ourselves? Judging yourselves does not look like you trying to find all your flaws. You want to know what judging yourselves look like? Look at Jesus. That's what I've been made, because as he is, so I am in this world. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we set our affections on him. We look at him as a mirror, and we let his reflection become our appearance. And they said, we want somebody who will lead us into battle. Well, God always causes us to triumph. says he always leads us into victory. So what they were saying is, we want somebody else to do it for us. You know, in our moment of weakness, we, we can often be like that. God, just sends somebody else to fix the problem. But giving up your own responsibility will never lead you to victory. As I already said, this is not no-fault religion. If you want to go up the hill, grab God's hand and walk up it. But nobody else can take that journey for you. It says, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Stop camping in the valley and walk through with him. There will never be a day where God says, it's okay, I don't need you. He never wanted to do it just himself. All the work he did was Jesus. He made you perfect, one with him. He united your spirit with him. We become in union with Christ. But that doesn't mean God doesn't need you anymore. It just means that he's put you back into the position that he wants you. 
And that's what he, look at his original attention, intention for man. He put them in a garden, and he would come down and walk and talk with them. He said to Adam and Eve, here's all the seeds. What do you want to plant? And so God will still give you that opportunity today in your life. What do you want to plant in your life? Okay. <laughs> but this theme, we see it continually through the life of Saul. The people rejected their responsibility and got a king who would keep letting go of his own responsibility. We see that in 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath. Goliath came down and taunted the nation of Israel for 40 days. Send out a warrior. We'll fight, and if I win, you become our slaves. If you win, we become your slaves. And for 40 days, the nation of Israel hid in their holes. But more importantly... Their fearless leader was at the back of the line, hiding in the deepest hole. And even when God brought salvation to the nation of Israel by David, it says, as Saul watched. And so we know that Saul was not a very hands-on person. He didn't want to do it himself. And he was continually looking for other people to do it for him. And thank God for his mercy on the nation of Israel. And thank God for David raising him up. But Saul was standing back. And the temptation is that if I just stand back, surely everything will work out in the wash. You know what? You've not been called to stand back. You've been called to charge into battle. And the things that we know about Saul is that in chapter 9, verse 2, it said he was choice and he was handsome and there was not a more handsome person among the children of Israel for his shoulders were upward. He was taller than any of the people of Israel. So Saul was a giant in his own right. But you know, you can be a giant on the outside and be a midget on the inside of how you view yourself. When you choose things based upon their appearance, you're often left sorely disappointed. And that's why when we look at our lives, we need to look for the good versus the God, because not all that glitters is gold. And the Holy Spirit will lead you in paths that other people can't walk. He's got a path for you, and He will lead you to the best over the good. So let's catch up to where we ended off last week. In Samuel 18.2, David has just killed Goliath. He's chopped off his head. They've chased him down the road. They've taken out the, the whole army. It, the, the victory, let, let's just say this way, it was so great that it took them several years for the Philistines to recover from this battle. It was about, I think, five or six years historically before they were in a position where they could uh, ch challenge Israel again. And so it was a great victory. It was a cause for celebration. And David comes back to Saul and it says, From that day on, Saul kept David with him, and he wouldn't let him return home. And whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war, and an, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Why was it welcomed? Because Saul was not standing in the position that he was supposed to. And there's a saying that says, nature abhors a vacuum. 
If you're not going to do it, somebody else will. If you don't want to step forward and take the blessings, that's okay. Someone else will. And so with the, with, when it comes to Saul's leadership, it was severely lacking. And so when David shows up on the scene with a little bit of leadership unction, guess what? Of course everybody else is liking it. And it says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, a woman from, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. And they sang and they danced with joy, with tambourines and cymbals. And of course they should. This was a great battle. The Philistines had been plaguing them for a while. This had pushed them back off to the edges of the territory. But they began to sing and they began to shout and they started writing songs and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And it sounds like a great song because, of course, David is the victor. He was the one that actually did something. But this made Saul very angry. Now, Christopher and I were talking about a saying earlier this week that you'll never be criticized by someone who does more for more. You'll always be criticized by someone doing less than you. And so Saul became very angry. And he says, what's this? They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. And there he just points out his insecurities. Well, it's rightfully that he should be afraid. God has already told him at this point, you will not be king. I'm bringing someone else in. And so Saul's insecurities are now making his decisions for him. And it says, from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. We can say it this way. He got into a funk attitude, and he chose to stay there. That's never a good position for us to put ourselves in. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you're mad, but you really kind of want to stay that way, and other people are trying to make it better, but you're just kind of like, no, no, no. And my wife is like, Jordan, that's you all the time. <laughs> Sometimes you want to stay in that attitude because you think you're justified in it. Guess what? You're not. Get over it. It's okay. I'll preach to myself. But Saul, he didn't get over it. He was mad at David when in a time when they should have been celebrating. They should have gone back to the capital. They should have thrown a big party. They've just pushed back their enemies. Whether it was David or whether it was Saul, they've been delivered. You need to be careful of the bait and switch. The enemy wants you to focus on the negative. And God's saying, why? Look at all the things that you can be happy about right now. You know, sometimes when we wake up in the morning, we don't always feel like we have things to shout about. Let's back up the statement, you woke up. You took a breath. That's enough to shout about. You know, they used to say about Smith Wigglesworth, what he'd do in the morning, that he'd wake up and he'd jump into his slippers and he would dance for 10, 15 minutes and then go face the day. Why? He was setting the tone for his day. So Saul didn't choose to set his tone. He let it get set by the attitude of his heart. And it says, The very next day, a tormenting spirit 
overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. You need to be, beware the slide. You know, sometimes we feel like we're justified. I should be angry. Look what they've done to me. You're never justified in it. But when you choose to entertain those thoughts, it takes you to places you don't want to go. And that's why the proverb in 423 is very important. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Right. Don't entertain things that have no business being in your life. You know, as I was meditating on that scripture, though, guard your heart above all else, I was reminded of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read it to you, this next section out of the Passion Translation, because I think it gives a lot of depth to what Paul was saying. And here in verse 21, it says, If you have really experienced the Anointed One and heard His truth, it will be seen in your life. We need to remind ourselves that. Focus on Jesus so that it can be seen in our lives. It says, for we know the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And he has taught us to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self. What are you saying? Kill the old guy. Just because you've always been the angry, grumpy one doesn't mean you need to stay the angry, grumpy one. You can be the one filled with joy. You can be the loving one. You can be the one reaching out your hand to lift others up. And so it says he has taught us to let go of that lifestyle, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. But he says now it's time to be made new by every revelation that has been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has re recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. The reason why we need to let go of the old attitudes and the old way of letting our decisions be made is because you can't hold on to two things at the same time. You need to let go of the old ancient one and grab hold of the new renewed one who you've been made in the same likeness of him in true righteousness and true holiness. The next verse he says, So discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as the one who always speaks the truth for we all belong to one another. Now, I underline the word form there because as I was meditating on that scripture, this is the thought that came to me. The most common form of lying isn't lying to those around us, but lying to ourselves. I can't do this. That's beyond me. I'll never be like that. That is the biggest lie people tell each themselves. You need to learn to tell the truth to yourself. I have been made one with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will overcome because the one who overcame is inside of me. Just let that sit in for a second. We need to stop lying to ourselves. You are not what the world has told you. You are not what maybe your family told you. Just because you were raised that way doesn't mean that's the way you stay. So let go of lying. Yeah. Or as the word says, discard. What is it to discard something? Toss it in the trash. Right. Right. And it says, but don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even for a day. Yeah. 
It's not even worth it for a day. And that brings us back to Saul. It wasn't worth it to him for even a day. If it wasn't worth it to him, it's not worth it to you either. It says, don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, the opportunity to manipulate you. And that's the way he does it. Right here. He wants you to think little of yourself. How can you think little when we think about who's in us? There's more of him in you than you in you. It says, never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. I love that. Beautiful gifts. You ever think of your words that way? Beautiful gifts to encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Whenever we find ourselves in the position that Saul was in, where we're wanting to be jealous, we're wanting to be angry, the Holy Spirit is right there with us. You know, we think that he's usually only in the good times, but you got to think in your worst day, he was standing there right with you. And so in your darkest emotion, filled with anger, rage, whatever it is, jealousy, he's saying, you know, I can influence you out of this. I can lead you to a place of joy. I can lead you to a place of strength and happiness again where the love of God is once again revived in your heart. Whew! Man. But how do we grab hold of that influence? First, we have to lay aside the thing we're holding on to. So Paul says, lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums. You know, we often think those are reserved for toddlers. Some of the worst temper tantrums I've seen have come from adults. I digress. Profanity and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Well, we know that Saul did not take this route, and it plunged the nation of Israel into a power struggle for the next seven years, where first he tries to pin David to a wall with a spear. David's playing away on the harp, and the anger and jealousy that Saul is holding in his heart is just boiling over till he grabs the spear, and he tosses it, and David goes, whoop, and takes off out of there. Now, you think that'd be great? You know, oh, I survived? He did it a second time he tried to pin him to the wall. So finally David got the hint and took off. And so Saul starts chasing him for the next seven years. And every time that David has an opportunity to take Saul out, you know what he did? I'm not doing it, God. I will not touch your anointed. Saul even wanders into the same cave that David and his men are hiding in to use it as a bathroom. And David walks up behind him and he cuts off the corner of his robe. And you know, David even felt bad about doing that. Saul goes out and he shows Saul. And Saul's like, oh, I'm so grateful. Doesn't change his heart. 
Next, he's got him and 3,000 men and they fall asleep in the camp. And David and Abijah walk right into the camp to where they're sleeping. And Abijah says, just let me run him through with his own spear. I won't miss. It won't take me two shots. And David says, no, it's not our job. And they took the spear and they took the water jug and they went out and they called and they said, look, Abner, commander of the army, you should be ashamed of yourself. But you know what? If you take the path of grace, God will promote you. It was not David's job to make himself king. God had already done that. And David's words were, well, he'll die of old age or he'll die in battle, but one way or another, I will become king. We don't need to force things to happen. God will open doors for you that no one can shut. He'll give you opportunities that have passed everybody else over. He'll give you opportunities to increase. He'll give you opportunities to walk into new depths in your business that you didn't even know were possible. Grace will lead you there, not your strength. That's why it says it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit when we let His influence in. But you know, Saul's downfall came years and years before those moments. And back in chapter 13, verse 5, the Philistine had mustered an army of about 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. And they encamped at Michmash, east of the Beth Avon. And the men of Israel saw the tight spot they were in. I like the wording there. They saw the tight spot they were in. You ever felt like you've been in a tight spot and you just didn't know which way you should go and because they were hard pressed by the enemy you ever felt like you're in a position where you were under a little bit of pressure you know the stress is beginning to rise up and so they tried to hide why because they're just following the example of their leader that's what Saul did they hid in the caves and the thickets and the rocks and the holes and the cisterns. And some of them crossed over the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. And Saul waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Look at words, Saul's wording. He demanded... So they, Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. And just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Meaning he, if he would have just waited an hour or two, the whole situation would have been good. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? And Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me. And you didn't arrive when you said you would. Anybody ever had a conversation with that? But you didn't do what I thought you should have done. And you saw everything that was going on around you. And the pressure came. The tight spot came. And on top of that, he says, the Philistines were ready for battle. Who cares if they were ready for battle? You know, there's so many things that will come into your life to try and push you to act now. If I don't do this now, I'm going to miss my opportunity. If this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen, you realize that pressure is not a tool that God uses. 
What is the tool God uses? Peace. He leads us in his paths of peace. His Holy Spirit leads us into paths of peace. And so if you're feeling pressure, and if you're feeling like you need to act now, God doesn't get you to move out of anxiety. Take a step back and rest. Well, this is Samuel's response. How foolish! You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. We don't often recognize what's on the other side of our obedience and our patience. And that's the thing. With the grace of God, He has not called you to build your own kingdom. He's called you to live in His. And this is what He said to him. Now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man who's after his own heart. And the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of this people. God is looking for people who are after his heart. And sometimes when we're following after that God's heart, that means we have to wait right now. That we need to be patient to understand that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts, that he knows a better route to where you're wanting to go than you do. And so Acts looks back at this situation and it says this in Acts 13.22, God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, did David do it perfectly all the time? No. He messed up big time. But actually, if you look at it, it's because he was out of his place. You ever want to know why David screwed up with Bathsheba? It's because he didn't go to war where he was supposed to. He was at home bored. If you read this text, he was getting up at nighttime, meaning he had slept all day. And so oftentimes we fall into those situations because we're out of the place we're supposed to be in. David didn't do it perfect, but yet God still calls him a man after his own heart. You will never do it perfect, but you can still be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And impatience will lead you to take matters into your own hands, but a heart after God will expand your kingdom. Really, it's not your kingdom, it's his. So, Father, we thank you for the spirit of peace. We know that's exactly what we need in this day and age where everybody's moving so fast and going here, here, and all the time. But Father, right now, we just stop to remember your peace. Why don't you just lift up your hands with me this morning? Father, we receive your peace. We receive your peace right now. Hallelujah. Toph, let's sing that. Let's sing peace, peace. Hallelujah. Peace, peace, wonderful peace Flowing down from the Father on high Sweep over my spirit forever 
fathomless billows of love. One more time, Toph. Peace, peace, wonderful peace flowing down from the Father on high. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. Fathomless billows of love. Oh, we thank you for your peace, Lord. You just feel that lightness? You know, pressure is described as a weight, but peace is as light as a feather. We thank you for your peace, Lord. Now, you don't need Toph on the guitar or me singing in a song to get you into a place of peace. All you need is a heart that says, God, I receive it right now. And he'll lift you up. You know, maybe you're watching us this morning via the internet and you haven't made God the Lord of your life. You know, attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to your garage makes you a car. It says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And it's really simple. We just pray right now, and if that's you that I'm speaking to, I want you to pray this prayer with the rest of us right now. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We believe that you've raised him from the dead. And right now we receive him as Lord. And as he floods your heart right now, I want you to just go ahead and open up to his peace. Let it fill you up to the overflow. Let it surround you right now where you are. Let it break off the chains that have been trying to hold you down because His peace is wanting to lift you up and take you somewhere you've not been able to go before. And if you prayed that with us this morning, I want you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in our area, we invite you to come and join us. We just want to say we're a family that just wants to love on you. But right now, whatever you guys here with me this morning are about to face this week, God already knows it. And he put this message on my heart for you guys. And for me, God, thank you. So I know that you're going to need peace this week because you're going to have an opportunity to feel pressure. And whatever you need to do, get away, get alone, and receive it. Because losing your peace is not worth the reward you'll find at the other end. But if you walk with God, He will lift you up. Guys, as we dismiss this morning, I want you to remember that God loves you and He has accepted you as you are. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week.